Uh, we are um, going through Ephesians and Luke this semester, so we're looking at uh, community of reconciliation, the body of Christ, and um, we are looking at really how to be his servants in the middle of that. And so we're looking at the Gospel of Luke right now, the discipleship section. So join us, look at uh, Luke chapter 12, we'll talk about fear, fear who, and this is really perhaps, pardon me a moment, I have to come a little adjustment here if I can, yes, hallelujah, all right, there we go. Um, this is perhaps one of the more radical passages in Luke, and Luke in general is radical. Luke always ruins my, <clears throat> any aspirations I have to a normal life, and I read Luke and it just, you know, just transforms what you consider so as we look at Luke 12 this morning, let's be clear that following Jesus, truly following him, is so countercultural, so not of this world, that to follow faithfully is to be a sign of contradiction to really the very values around us in the world. To be in step with Jesus is to be out of step with the world. So to be and make disciples is going to confront this world's values around relating around money, around public speech or, you know, memes online. Life investments are going to be confronted as we look at this passage. As we walk with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, though, and we see all these values around us, we confront one major human motivation, and that is fear. So read Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 to launch this. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Let's pray. So Lord, we ask as we look at your scriptures that indeed you would give us as a gift this morning a right reverence before you, a fear of the Lord that would bring wisdom, that would bring self-control, that would bring a godly life. We pray that you should help us to recognize reality, not as it seems, but as it is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus calls us to fear God. But what are the effects of fearing God? There are several effects of fearing God. The first effect of the fear of God is bold integrity. So look also in that chapter at verses 1 to 3, get a feel for the first issue in fear. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Hypocrisy. What makes us hypocritical? We want to look good on the outside. And so Jesus is telling us something very foundational, simple. Hypocrisy is useless because everything is going to be revealed. Everything. 
every action, everything hidden, even our thoughts. And even if you do the, a good thing, but the motive is wrong, all will be revealed. Everything is revealed. You know, one simple understanding of the fear of the Lord is simply that, in fact, everything will be made known. You really can't hide anything, ultimately. So here's the fundamental reality. The, the, the world system wants to weave a magic spell on us and convince us that the world around us that we can touch and see, that that's what's real. And so we've got to worry about money. We've got to think about what people think. We've got all these things we've got to do because that's what's real. And the fear of the Lord says, really, there's a day coming when every single thing is revealed. Our thoughts, our motives, everything that who we are is just laid bare for everyone to see. That's the fear of the Lord. Just the recognition, the reality that nothing will be hidden. No excuses. All will be made known. Now, this is also good news, right? Ultimate justice. Everything that you tried to do right, you know, even when, if you flop it, if you were trying, that will be revealed, right? And so the things that you think look stupid now, it's like, no, you'll be rewarded, right? Because you were trying to do the right thing, right? It's all revealed. So he says, live in light of this. We all stand before God. Every thought, word, and motive made known. So then, drop down. We already read verses 4 and 5. Drop down to verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Verse uh, 8. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men... The Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned by the angels of God. Verse 11, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about what you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So first he deals with hypocrisy. Now he shifts it a little bit here. He's saying, you know, don't worry about people because God's not going to forget you. You're better than a bird. And don't be afraid of speaking about God before people. Don't, don't be afraid of that. It's really easy to be afraid of that, right? He's saying everything's going to be made known. Everything. It's uh, what I call the eternal perspective. Some of you know, you knew, of, uh, or knew, knew or knew of Leonard Ravenhill, a great um, preacher and prayer in northern Minnesota. And he had a, one... You know, some people have their name on their desk. He had a little, little thing sitting there. It just had one word, eternity. And it led to a life of prayer, right? Eternity. It's, it, when we understand eternity and you live today in light of eternity, it changes everything. And so all are going to give account. All sin will be revealed. Now, I don't know, you know, will forgiven sin be revealed? I think probably it will, but maybe not, you know, be revealed as forgiven sin. Some people hate when I say that. Oh, no, you know, it's forgiven, it's covered. Okay, maybe, that's right. But, you know, but whether it is or not, right, everything's going to be revealed about us. This is the powerful thing. And so, you know, we sometimes think, well, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is the difference between what I present and who I am. So as I become more integral, more integrated as a human being in Christ, 
there's less and less gap between what I present and who I really am. So that instead of having a mask on, you see me, right? And I see you. That's heaven. You'll know as you are known, right? And so we're heading there right now, right? And so we remove the mask. We're known and we know others. So take the risk to be known. And the, you know, speaking for Jesus, all you are is you're, you're revealing who you really are. It's the risk of revealing who you really are. Right? This is what I'm really about. And as we share that, people find life. Because the first effect of the fear of God then is bold integrity. Another effect of the fear of God is radical disciples. So we're going to walk you through chapter 12. We won't look at every verse. So the next saying after that is the parable of the rich fool, which we won't look at, but you know the story. Uh, you know, here's this young guy. He's made it, you know, hit the, he hit the tech bubble, right? Invested in the iPad and he's a millionaire. So he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to, I'm going to get a 401k and I'm going to get all this. I'm going to have all my investment. I got all set for life. And God says, you fool, you're going to die tonight. You know, what are you investing in that for, right? And then, then Jesus gives this teaching on fear of survival. Those of us that didn't hit the tech bubble and don't have so much money. Verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you eat, or about your body, what you wear. Life is more than food and the body than clothes. Oh, there we go. There's the first thing, right? Life is more than survival, Okay. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. And who of you, by the way, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature or an hour to his life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And he gets radical. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. So verse 23 Jesus is teaching several things here, right? How do we live? How am I going to have provision? I understand those battles. I have 10 kids, three in college, right? How am I going to pay the bills, right? You know, right? Am I going to worry about that or not? Verse 23, he reminds us, life is more than survival. Did you know that? When you're 200 bucks when you make 200 less a month than your bills, it's hard to know that, right? What's the difference between poverty and wealth? 200 bucks, <laughs> right? When you're paying your bills, you feel wealthy, right? Yeah. Life is more than survival. And then, of course, 24 to 28, trust. God's going to 
takes care of birds and flowers, you're going to make it, right? But 29 is where it gets deep. Read verse 29 again, maybe 30. The pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given you as well. Now, here's where we're getting at core heart direction. He's saying, yeah, God knows you need them. Don't, don't worry. It's not like he's not saying money's unimportant, right? You need money. You got to have it to survive. But he says, don't set your heart on them. They're too small for that. Core heart direction. Don't set your heart on survival. Set your heart on the kingdom. This is the key. Don't set your heart on making it or having enough. Set your heart on the kingdom. Seek God and everything else will be added. What does seeking the kingdom look like? Now again, verse 32. Don't be afraid. So seeking the kingdom is a fear-free lifestyle. Don't be afraid, little flack. Why? Your father wants to give you the, king, the rule of God. <laughs> I, you know, if we could get a handle on what we're being given, I think it would just end anxiety. The power of the kingdom of God to cleanse someone from sin in an instant to give people power to live differently. Supernatural healings. The power of God to transform. He wants to give us the kingdom. of, And once that gets in you, right? You, you live forever. Your father's pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't sweat the small stuff, right? He's pleased to give you the kingdom. So once you get a handle on that, Oh, man, it changes everything. So he says, you know, when you, once you have that perspective, well, sell your possessions and give to the poor, right? Why? Because that's where the real treasure is. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, and what? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A 401k that will never take a dive, Right? Because what you, when you invest in the kingdom, when you invest in God's heart, he's saying here, the poor especially, when you invest in that way, you're going to have a treasure that will never be exhausted. Now think about this. Keith didn't, I didn't know he was going to mention compassion children. We support some. We don't do a enough, good enough job writing letters. But, you know, that 38 bucks a month, how does, how does giving to the poor become an inexhaustible treasure? When 38 bucks a month becomes a transformed life, which becomes a transformed family, which becomes a transformed village, and all those people say hi to you in heaven, that's an inexhaustible treasure. You see, as we think about how to invest our lives, there's time too, right? Time, money, all of it, right? When we think about how to invest in a way that will never be lost, it's people. It's the kingdom. And it, it, so he says it's an inexhaustible treasure. In other words, that you know, you may feel like, man, I, well, I've tried and I've invested in this person, that person. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in heaven is they're going to say, I've had this happen as a campus pastor, and that's because I have a more public ministry. So you know what I mean? So I've got a glimpse into this, okay? Here's how it works. 
You know, you're trying hard, right? You, you witness to a lot of people. You talk to people, right? And I've had people come up to me at, at student conferences, and they'll say, remember me? And I'll be like, I'm so sorry, but I don't. And they're like, you said this one thing that one time, and this changed my life. Or the guy that came to the Bible study at Sanford uh, over a couple blocks down here, and he was the guy that never showed up to the main meeting, and we didn't know if he was getting anything. It was just like, you know, he writes me later. He's like, my life was changed. I'm serving. Oh, really? And that's how it is. For, I just hear about it because I'm a campus pastor. You know what I'm saying? But it's, that's how it is for all the stuff that you don't even think matters. The things you think, you know, they weren't even listening, right? You know? And those are the people that you're going to meet in heaven, and you'll be like, oh, my gosh. And, and they'll, they'll tell you, you were the watershed person in my life, a series of 20 people maybe. An inexhaustible treasure. Woo, right? You know, it, it's, he's encouraging them. Life's more than survival. God will take care of you. Seek his kingdom, right? But you do have to do that because of verse 34. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. I use this principle, by the way. I will, I will direct my giving to shape my heart. So that as I invest in time or money, as I invest in people, that's how I shape my heart toward them. So mentally... Just do a little thought experiment with me. Take everything you have, your time and your money, all your abilities, just kind of mentally put them in your hands. Okay? And you just say, Lord, it's yours. And then do what he shows you. It's that simple. Thought question before we move to the next point. What could you lose if you sacrifice too much for the kingdom. I mean, you, you, you will lose something, right? You could lose some things, right? If you sacrifice too much for the kingdom, you might have some inconvenience. You might be broke once. You know, right? There is some price there, right? What could you lose if you sacrifice too little? So the second effect of the fear of God is radical discipleship. One last effect of the fear of God is powerful influence. Now, the first two fears are pretty universal, right? Fear of what people think and fear of survival are pretty universal. In modern and postmodern humanity, uh, the amount of wealth in Western society has kind of moderated survival to really just more relative standing in society, right? Just how wealthy we are. Uh, fear of what people think has been kind of tribalized, right? We only are online with those people that already agree with us. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying. Um, major pain felt today is the lack of significance. Will I matter? Do I have a voice? Leads to some really odd behaviors, right? To get 15 minutes of fame. People really want to have a voice. They'll do desperate things sometimes. In his radical way, Jesus addresses this with the last parable we'll look at today. Talks about going away and leaving us waiting until his return. And the question that he raises is what will we do while we wait? Or what will we do to find lasting significance? So look at Luke 35, 46 real quick, and then the second half. Uh, so the first part is pretty obvious, right? Be uh, Luke 12, 35. Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lance burning. 
like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline a table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Okay, lesson one's pretty clear, right? Be ready, don't live a foolish life. Okay, well then, Peter breaks in, verse 41. Peter asked, well, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Okay, now he's going to sharpen focus a little bit for the disciples and for us. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager or house steward whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. What? We're in charge of heaven? <laughs> but suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time coming. And he then begins to beat the men's servants and maidservants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Who? Verse 47. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. The one who does not know and does things deserving will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has will be given much. Excuse me. Everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So now he's sharpening it for the disciples. Influence. Verses 35 to 40, be ready. We understand. Verses 42 to 46 or beyond. Lasting significance is found in feeding truth to others right now certainly is a word to pastors right he's talking about the house steward talking to peter saying make sure all the other servants get what they need at the right time so clearly it's it's a word to people with teaching ministry preaching uh, yeah of course and notice who is rebuked I'll just say a little bit about this it's those who take advantage of other believers who are cut in pieces and put with unbelievers. In other words, spiritual abusers, we call them today. That's a sober word. Sojourns had a bit of ministry, frankly, to spiritual abuse victims. And uh, it's, a, it's a strong conviction of ours that, that leadership must be servant leadership must be non-controlling, non-condemning, right? That this is an essential issue. And so, you know, if you've been part of a system, spiritual system, Christian ministry of some kind, where they try to control your life, make decisions for you, manipulate you with guilt or pride, that's spiritual abuse. Jesus has some very sober words about that. He doesn't like his sheep being mistreated, right? Very serious. Those who are faithful to feed the word of God to those under their care, apparently they get to supervise heaven, right? 
and so all of the master's possessions. But you might think, well, that doesn't relate to me, but it does. Verses 47 to 49, to know increases responsibility, right? To, much, to whoever is given much, much is expected, right? There's a, there's a powerful principle here that I hear the North American church in this, okay? So here's what I mean. We have a lot of money, and we ought to use it wisely, use that influence wisely, but frankly, we have a lot of Bible training. I mean, you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm learning the word right now. Yeah, sure, and I'm glad you are. But I'm just saying, we have a lot of biblical understanding. We have a lot of truth that we are accountable for that we then can release to the world around us. It's the great challenge of the evangelical church in America is to release what we know in compassionate ways around us right now. Huge issue. To know increases responsibility. I don't say that to guilt you up. To say this is an opportunity to use what God has taught you. What can we do that matters? Well, certainly it's a word to pastors and teachers and group leaders here. Small group leaders in sojourn. Share God's word. But for all of us. When you feed truth into people's lives, it could be little children, it could be some of these international friends that we're meeting, it could be uh, sharing the love of Christ at work or wherever, it's of such high value that Jesus says, if I find you doing that when I come, you are going to share my possession. In fact, it's really the word is, I'm going to put you over all of my possessions. What? What's he saying? That, that feeding the truth of the word of God is core to his heart for this world. And when you do that in your own sphere of influence, in your own way, that's so part of the father's heart, he says, that I'm going to put you in charge of heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's important, right? He's saying this is, this is so big that I'm going to reward you profoundly. This is so much my heart. To share the truth of the word of God. Because of, I'm so grateful for this on many levels, but because of having children, 10 children, young adults, adolescents, and still a couple little kids yet. Those days are quickly passing, but you know. Uh, I'm really aware of what they hear online, friends, even Christian friends, church background people, the level of deception is shocking. People that have sat in church their whole life and do not know the word of God. You have truth in your soul, embrace it. In your own soul, embrace it. Grow in Christ and share what you know. Because the level of deception is growing in this culture. People are relational. And, and you know what? You can hear something in a youth group. You can hear a sermon. And that has maybe 1% to 5% impact. But when you have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with a friend, they say, you know, I really think this is important. That's what changes us right? So I'm happy to do what I do, but I know that it's more important when I'm nose to nose with you when you're nose to nose with others, 
right? It, it's what we hold together and we talk about and we say we're going to live this out. That's what the church needs. We need radical disciples who will make radical disciples. This is the significance that lasts. So the last effect of the fear of God is a powerful influence. You know, what do you do when you see sin in a fellow believer or worldliness? I think Jesus would say, make disciples. You know, well, how do you do that? Well, you know, for example, you know, different levels of relationship. I understand that. But, but let's say that you get in a heart for somebody and, and, you know, you know that they're really not where they could be. And we, we don't know how we're going to reach the world. Well, the first way we're going to reach the world is to help the body of Christ be the body of Christ. And so, you know, you make friends with somebody and you go, hey, you know, I, I, I like uh, thinking about scripture, memorizing scripture. Let's memorize two verses a week together and talk about it. You know, I mentioned the guy earlier that I thought, man, I, didn't have, I had no idea where he was going, right? But what we did was, over at Sanford Hall, I had, you know, I had one guy that was pretty depressive, but a good guy, and he was the core of the Bible study. Then he had, then he had a friend that the whole time you're talking to him, he's like this, you know what I mean? ADD the whole time. When years later, I found out from his mom he'd been sexually abused, but you know, just, he was all over the place, but he, like, he kind of was there. And then there's this other guy I was talking about, right? Okay, well, the two guys I've kept relationship with, but that other guy, I lost track of him. All we did was memorize two verses a week and talk about it once a week. And his life was changed. I mean, it was really like, you didn't have to be a pastor. I mean, it was like, this was like drop dead simple, right? And it changed his life. And the other guys too, actually. They're all doing well. But, you know, it's like, I mean, that's not like you write home and like, I'm a campus pastor and I have three guys in a Bible study. I remember I was two verses a week. You know what I mean? It's like, it was just so simple, right? But it changed lives. The word of God ingested, digested, invested, transforms. So you can have a Christian friend and there can be very little influence or you can say, let's really get the word of God in our heart and let's talk about how we're going to live it out. And you can do that in an hour a week and somebody's life is forever changed. You do that for a year, I guarantee you that person's life will change for the rest of their life, the trajectory Jesus is talking about making disciples. I'm just saying one simple way you could get started in that process. You know, sometimes you wonder, you get, you know, you get together, you know people, and it's like, oh, Lord, I don't know what to say. Well, I don't know what to say either most of the time. But if I can get them to begin to take the truth into their soul, because it's, it's, it's not magic. That's a bad word. You know, but it's, it's miraculous. The truth of the word of God gets in there. It breaks up things that you know were wrong you couldn't even put your finger on. And it transforms the soul. Now, just imagine. Some of you are already doing this. But just imagine if everybody in this room and everybody online just grabbed one or two people and said, we're going to do this for a year. What level of change would we see? I predict profound. So the last effect of the fear of the Lord is powerful influence. So look at verses 4 and 5 again in this chapter. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. 
But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Wow. What a sober verse, right? But he's saying, he's waking us up. And ironically, he's saying, wake up. But he's also saying, there's a cure for your fears. Because those verses are embedded in the passage we looked at, which are all about us not being afraid. Not being afraid of what people think. Not being afraid if we'll have enough. Not being afraid if our life will matter. So if we have a reverence for God, we don't have to fear anything else. I'm going to encourage you this morning, give up fear and anxiety. See who God is and have a reverence for him. Stand with me. We're going to pray and we're going to wait on the Lord a little bit. Be an opportunity to uh, share prophetically. So just kind of prepare your minds and hearts for that. We'll take a few minutes here. So Lord, we ask that you set us free to have bold integrity, radical discipleship, lasting influence. That's what we want. Father, we ask that you be stirring us in these days and that each of us could reach out to one or two people and begin to take in the word of God to share the truth of the word of God and to see transformation. Hallelujah, Lord. This is we wait before the Lord. First, I'm just going to ask you to open your mind up to the Lord and ask him if there's someone he'd put in your mind that you could begin or continue to share with in this way. Could be small group people or friend, relative. Yeah, with that person in mind or people in mind, just let's lift them up to the Lord right now. People that you have in mind that you want to help strengthen in Christ, just lift them up to the Lord right now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would be ministering, strengthening, leading us, O oh Lord. that we could be strengthening the body of Christ, that we could be reaching out and lifting up those around us, that we could be a community of discipleship, a community of transformation through the word of God, the spirit of God working. We ask your blessing on that, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I'd like to open up the mic could be a response to the word, but especially a prophetic sense. Um, just going to open up the microphone and give people opportunity to share. So if you feel like you've got a word for the body, I'd love to have you come and share that. For some reason today, um, it's a story I love, but it kept coming to mind over and over um, during the service. <coughs> um, in my tradition, there is um, a story of the hundred secret rabbis. And um, they spend their lives wandering the world doing things so small for people everywhere they go that no one can thank them. The idea being that they're the most blessed of all because they can't gain the, the praise or the thanks of men. They're serving God only in their service to man. So that Amen. came to mind a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Aileen. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, if you don't, if you don't know the function two to the X and only my, only my fellow 
math majors will know that, but, uh, but, but here's how it works. It goes with the story. If each person touches one person this year, well, actually, if you start with just one person, touches one person, and then the next year they each touch one, and the next year they each touch one, in 34 years you've reached over eight, seven and a half billion people. So the, the gift of the small is that, you know, we think we can't do much. But if we'll do it consistently for a lifetime, we'll have a big impact. Anyone else, just wave your hand at me so I know you're coming. Okay, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. For a moment, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head, and if you're at home, just to get in a place of reverence. And talked about discipleship, making disciples. Simple question, but I think it's an important one to bookmark it in your mind. Just raise your hand if you feel like, yeah, I am going to commit to investing in at least one other person this coming year. Just uh, go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah. And we're going to pray. Keep your hand up. It's all right. Keep your hand up. Yeah. Lord, in Jesus' name, Father, we pray, give us wisdom in calling together and blessing those that we're going to pour in just even two verses a week or whatever it might be, the structure you give us, that we can multiply those that are rooted and grounded in Christ who come to know you in the process. In some cases, in other cases, they will be founded and equipped in the faith. We trust you for that, and we really ask your blessing on each one that is reaching out to you in this way right now, whether here or online, Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray that. Hallelujah. So we close with this, that you called us to go and make disciples of all nations. As Kent has pointed out, those nations are here. And so we commit ourselves, Lord. We, I bless you as you go forth to make disciples of all nations. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we bless this church in Jesus' name. Amen.